There are many things that Grayson Perry is famous for. His art, of course, scrutinising contemporary life. His interviews and BBC Reef lectures, which look at masculinity, taste, the contemporary art world. He's also known for his transvestite alter ego. Today we've asked him here to St Paul's to be part of our series, which asks, what really matters? Grayson, welcome to St Paul's. It's really good to have you here. Um, how does it feel to be in a church for you? Is it a comfortable place? Um, I go into churches fairly often for kind of aesthetic reasons, really. I mean, I'm, I, I love uh, religious architecture of all sorts, you know, and some of my most numinous experiences have been in churches in the spaces, you know, whether they be Rococo or stave churches or, mm. you know, um, ancient temples. And so, uh, and I think the whole idea of art, you know, the way we look at art comes from religion. You know, it was that sort of transitory moment when, you know, art, when an artwork went from being an idol into a representation that kind of established the basic idea of how, you know, how we see art as an object since, you know, maybe around 1400. So uh, religion has given us this idea of going to a special building and looking at a special thing. And that's what an art gallery is. Like the Tate across the wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, the Tate is a cathedral of, of yeah. modern art. Yeah. And religious art has been influential to your own work? Oh, hugely. I mean, you know, most art until you know, relatively recently in human history has had some sort of religious aspect to it. And um, you know, art tries, I suppose, to uh, represent things that people find hard to pin down. And mm. uh, maybe that's, you know, the, the, the two are, the, the art experience and the religious experience are very closely allied, so. Mm. Um, but religious art specifically, I mean, it plays a huge part in the European tradition and, you know, globally. And you're sceptical about God, probably even call yourself an atheist? I don't know, I'm probably sliding towards agnostic these days mm. because um, I'm more tolerant and I find the sort of stridency of a lot of atheism kind of, and also it's become a bit blokish. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a sort of polarisation and you know, one of the things I realise about life it's all about moderation and reflection and, you know, and um, often people sort of nail their colours to some kind of belief, some objective, in inverted commas, idea of the world and, uh, you know, the very thing about religion that people find hard to re embrace often, I think, is its irrationality mm. and I think that that sort of poetic element to religion, I think, needs sort of emphasising. Well, I can agree with that more because that's uh, my interest as well. And you've called religion a great multimedia poem in one interview, I remember. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, a poet, Les Murray, who says, God's in the world as poetry's in the poem, which is a very different understanding of how God might be. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Because, you know, I've just done this project, I'm still working on, the, on it in, in Essex, this house that is a sort of chapel, really, to uh, an imaginary woman. And I've sort of... You know, I've made it multimedia in that I've written the, uh, her biography as a poem because I've, one of the things that, I've, that I don't like, and I, a lot of modern architects um, seem to enjoy this idea of sort of non-specific spirituality and that grates on me hugely. Yeah. And so I went the completely opposite extreme and tried to pin it down to a very specific yeah. narrative on which to attach. Because often, you know, when you're in a religious experience, by focusing on the very specifics of the religious narratives. Um, the other stuff is coming in the corner of your eye while you're doing it. You know, it's, it's, a, it, it's in part of the process rather than the content. And I think that 
people often get the two you know confused and I'm much more interested in the process you know the fact that going to church and singing and coming together is actually more important than what you're singing about and mm. and what you're thinking of you know what the story is about it's the process that is the important thing and of course you and God have got a few things in common according to the Bible because of course in the, quite a few areas of the Bible he's a potter he's a ceramicist <laughs> uh, he's creative um, I mean I'm interested in in obviously your understanding of your art and in that search for you know what life's all about can you just tell us about why art is important in this world at the moment um, Art is important because it gives us it gives us time to reflect on things often art works best when it's communicating things in a way that you don't even know you're taking up the information so you know when you're listening to music you're you know often there's a sort of sophisticated cathartic emotional experience and it's you know it's doing the job for you in a way it's taking you along and, 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 and often the most sort of profound philosophy is it is in a novel because you're getting wrapped up in the story and you know in visual art what's great about visual art is that it's communicating sort of moods and ideas and about being human almost instantaneously often you know you go into an art gallery I like that that's 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 speaking to me mm. and it's it's all happening without you even knowing it and that's good because it doesn't have to go into words I mean as I age I realize more and more that my relationship to the world is primarily visual and uh, but even though I enjoy language I realize they operate there's a different pathway going on and where everybody is the same I remember you quoting uh, maybe in your wreath lectures Raymond Tallis yeah. where he says arts about the wound it's about us living in a finite life with incomplete meanings yeah um, your own life has had its shadows. You've uh, suffered some discrimination about what you look like sometimes, about yeah. your appearance. Um, when you filtered all that, when you chronicle what being human is at the moment with all its hypocrisies and its injustices, what do you conclude matters? The thing that really matters, I think, is our sort of relationships. It's about our connection. See, I think we're sort of primed genetically to connect. That's the most basic thing. And, you know, having our friends and our family around us and sort of um, allowing them to influence us and make impact upon us and us to impact them and to be heard and to be aware of how we're seen in the world, uh, they are the important things. So we are, I often think when I'm thinking what, needs what do we need in any given situation today i look back to the fact that we you know um we stopped evolving or we you know we're still the same human being as a stone age man pretty much so we need the same things we just need a 21st century version of it you know and so you know things like the internet give us a very high-tech version of what we were getting in a village so instead of talking about ug the bloke that does a good you know builds a good hut we're talking about celebrities, you know, um, and you know, we, even the, the same number of people we need, you know. The average number of a Stone Age village is the same as the average number of friends on Facebook, mm. you know, and so um, I think that it's, I look back and I think that, you know, what did we need then, especially psychologically? Mm. And 
friends, family, you know, and, and that, that to see ourselves mirrored in other people and to feel you know, worthy and beloved, that is important. And there are lots of more opportunities in many ways to relate in the 21st century through the development of you know, technology and so on. But of course, they can operate the other way. Uh, I mean, the word screen is an interesting one, isn't it? Because it screens out as well as draws you in. Yeah. So what are the biggest threats today to human relating, do you think? Um, men. I think the biggest problem in the world could just be boiled down to one, and that's men. It's masculinity, I think, is the big issue. And I think that we have become... Um, surplus to requirements in many ways. Many of our evolved skills and traits uh, are not necessary in the modern world anymore. You know, we, don't need, we don't need hunters anymore. We don't need the aggression, the testosterone, the competitiveness, the status seeking. All these things are counteractive. If you think of the big problems in the world, war, economic instability, often you can boil these down to men you know, fighting, racing each other, competing with each other to be the top dog in order to get the most, uh, the biggest harem. And I think that, um, you know, we've got a lot of outdate, outdated traits. So what do men need to do to adjust this? Behave more like women, I think. I mean, I, I read a statistic the other day that if men behave like women, the country would save 46 billion pounds. And that's just because there wouldn't be any crime. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting that all the sort of establishments and institutions, not least the one I'm part of, has been male-dominated. Yeah. And uh, the imagery for God is also overtly male quite often, although that's being adjusted. Um, do you find that's one of the most off-putting parts of what you might call institutional, organised religion for you? I think... That the male domination aspect is probably one of the least palatable aspects of organised religion. More so, I mean, the Church of England is different from some other religions, but it's perhaps not so. You know, it doesn't embody that masculinity as much. Dare I say, you know, as much as some religions, they seem more macho. Yeah. Other religions, I mean, and, and some less. Um, but I think, yeah, the the, the qualities that w women bring to society, I think, would you know, people talk about, yes, women can be as corrupt and venal as men. Of course they can. But I think collectively, the collective female experience would be very beneficial if it had more effect on society. How do you begin to teach a man those lessons? Um, a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to accept his responsibility, you know, and maybe reflect on himself and be honest with himself and be in situations where he's getting that feedback, you know, and take it without kind of reacting in a bad way to it, you know, and, and, and is it not, you, sort of, you, that's why the therapy model is great because it's, you know, it's non-judgmental and it's got your interest in heart, but it will also give you the hard facts of how you appear to other people. And I think that that's a great lesson that a lot of people need to learn is to get that sort of um, non-judgmental feedback about how they appear to the world. And often it's a shock to people. Oh, you mean I'm like that to other people? Yeah, you're afraid you are. Oh, my God. And maybe poetry again. I mean, Amnesty's just brought out this collection called Poems That Make Grown Men Cry. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it meant, I mean, it, it's, it, it, all these changes take so long. You know, the, one thing I've learned about sort of emotional and social changes, they don't happen overnight. You can change the law in mm. a moment, but the, the way society changes is glacially slow over generations. You know, we're still, we still see the echoes of conflicts and traumas that go back, you know, over a century ago, probably. And so, um, you know, to expect society to change because some bloke has written a book about it is, 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 is ludicrous. It's going to take a long time. So the thing that matters is relating. Uh, how are you going to pass on that insight to the next generation in a way that sounds plausible and not just, you know, romantic or, dare I say it, you know, soppy? I think by example, you know, it's, it, 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 I think often I get fed up with sort of, um, sort of spiritual bland, yeah. blandness. And I think that one of the you know, interesting things about most of the organised religions, they have very specific texts mm. with very specific stories. And yes, a lot of it, is, it might be outmoded or un, in, indecipherable, but the very sort of having specific narrative means that people um, concentrate on the narrative, they forget they're actually getting the lesson is in the subtext of it often mm. and so I think that you know I would always try to, to to be a good model you know in some ways and also to make work and to encourage work that is a good model around human behavior and um, not to sort of lecture people about you know giving them a set of instructions you know I don't think that's necessarily it's about stories. We are story people. Going, again, going back to the Stone Age, we sat around a campfire and we told stories. That was our primal culture. And so that's how we, we have internal stories. We have communal stories. That's how we um, absorb the kind of moral lessons, ethical lessons. And maybe that's where good art and good religion are similar because bad art and bad religion tends to be informative, trying to get a message across to yeah. you. But actually, good art, good religion is more formative. It's about who we're becoming. It's also, yeah, it's, it, it just, it, I think the, the problem is one of the worst things you could do as an artist is have an idea and illustrate it and hope that that, yeah. yeah. If you, I yeah. always think that what was the point of making it? You know, I often start by, in something very vague and visual when I'm making something, even though at the end it does seem to have a very specific content. Yeah. That kind of often gets tacked on at the end, you know. Yeah, yeah. I could go on for hours like this, um, but this is a, a short little interview um, about the things that really matter. You've made that quite clear to us and how to pass it on, not um, you know, easily for men to hear in many ways what you've said, but hugely important. Mm. The work that you do is chronicling contemporary life in the 21st century, and some of us are hugely grateful for what you're doing. Um, and you know. It's great to have you in St. Paul's and thank you for being part of this series. Oh, thanks.